Med Student Arezi listeners. This is Patricia, and I am joined by two of our awesome hosts and some great guests that I'll introduce themselves. Hey, everybody. My name is Molly Estes. I'm clinical faculty at Loma Linda University in Southern California, one of your co-hosts for the, today, as well as... Hi, guys. I'm Caitlin Bowers. I'm a community EM doc, and I also am adjunct faculty at Campbell's University School of Osteopathic Medicine. And we have two of my good friends and colleagues here as guests today. We'll let you introduce yourselves. I'm Cameron Meyer. I'm also a community med doctor in Utah. And I also am faculty at a new osteopathic medical school, Norda Osteopathic Medical School. My name is Jeff Comp. I'm one of the APDs at the Creighton Phoenix Emergency Medicine Residency down in sunny Arizona. Awesome. And I just realized I didn't even say who I was. I am a PGY2 at Doctors Hospital in Columbus. Uh, is what we wish that we would have known as medical students. So if we all take a second to think back, you know, wind the clock back through residency, through back to being a med student, and what, when you were a third or fourth year med student, do you wish that you would have known whether it was about the profession in general, about where you are now versus where you were then. You know, we all know the dark times of medical school where you're just, you know, entrenched in the book and you, know, you, you can't really see the 30,000 foot view of what you'll be in the future. But now being on the other side of match and then you being out of residency at this point, you know, what you wish you would have known beyond. Knowing that a lot of our student listeners are still in their preclinical years, I kind of wanted to throw one out there to them which is probably the most consistently surprising thought that I have on this topic is the number of times I actually use my preclinical basic sciences information to help me do my job better. It is just astonishing to me the number of times I reference back the pathophys of heart failure or the pathophys of sepsis or fluid overload in order to understand a lot of the stuff going on in order to then turn around and teach it. And it's kind of, I, I say this like very to my own chagrin because I was one of those students who just hated it and told everybody who would listen to me that this isn't going to be useful in my all grown up adult life. And it is and we do use it and it is relevant, more or less. And yeah, what you're doing right now, even in the doldrums of studying is going to make you a better doctor. I think what you're saying is absolutely true. Actually, I think that's what distinguishes the good doctors from the bad doctors, because it's really easy for you to say, oh, these are the five treatments for heart failure. And if you don't actually think about the pathology, you don't think about the whole process on why they have such and such, then when the cases doesn't fit that perfect box, you don't know how to troubleshoot it. And when you really think back to the clinical stuff, the pre-med stuff, that's when you really see the doctors that know what they're doing and really think through the process and I think make them better doctors. And I think to go off of that too, as a resident, I wish that as a med student, I would have known that that stuff is going to grow over time. That, yes, you learn it in medical school and you make the weird assumption that you're supposed to just get it the first time that you learn it. But ultimately, like heart failure is complicated. Pathophysiology is complicated. And the more that you see it as a med student in your third and fourth year, the more that you see it as a resident, the more you'll understand why, you know, this patient you're going to give Lasix and this patient you're not or whatever the case may be. It's I think I back then had the assumption that, well, by the time I get to residency, I have to know all this. And I have to, like, by the time I'm a doctor, like, I just need to know. Exactly. Right. I think that's the thing that 
I was the most surprised about was that it's okay to keep learning, right? There's nothing magical that happens when you graduate from residency and start being an attending. Sure, you have much more guidance, but the decision-making is very similar. And there were there were always cases, and there still are cases that stump me, or there are things that I, I don't quite understand. And there are still sometimes the, the sort of thing I say to my residents is like, hey, this is a day where the shift won. It was hard. And those will still happen. Now, they're much more infrequent than when I was early on in training. But it's okay to understand that the process of learning doesn't stop at at the end of residency. And I don't think I had that in my head. I think in, when I was in medical school, I was like, just like you were saying, I need to know all this before I get to, to residency. And then when I graduate residency, I will know everything. And then that's when I can start being a doctor. It's more of a long-term marathon rather than your short-term residency sprint. I kind of going along that same vein. In my opinion, I think the best years that you have as a doctor are actually years three through five after residency. Wait, so I've peaked? Come on, man. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> and, and let me explain why. Because I think when you first come out of residency, you're anxious, you're nervous, you're scared you're going to mess up, and you really go above and beyond to learn additional things. You're faced with something. You don't know exactly how to manage it. You're going to keep looking up. You're going to keep be actively engaged in learning. And then eventually you're going to get to that point where you're content. You're kind of in a place where you feel comfortable in every single situation. You don't have maybe at least a little bit of healthy anxiety or fear of something else going on. That's why I think it's so important for us to recognize that and at the same time try to overcome that, I think, natural tendency to become complacent because then you're going to stop looking stuff up. You're going to stop, stop learning. You're going to stop trying to expand your knowledge to become a better doctor. I think that's the natural course, but we have to learn from it, recognize it, and try to combat that. I think especially within our specialty of emergency medicine, it is a constant battle to stay up to date and abreast of information and yet somehow develop over time this complete and total okay confidence in exactly what I do and I do not know. And actually, Caitlin, I wanted to ask you more about what you said in terms of the power of saying I don't know, because I think that's huge even for our student listeners. That actually is something you can do even now if you learn how to say it correctly. I think as a fourth year resident, I was very terrified of teaching residents because I thought that they wouldn't accept the fact that I don't know. And nowadays, I don't have a problem telling students that I work with that I'm not sure. And my job is to rule out the emergencies. And I know what this isn't. And I know the things I'm not worried about based on this presentation. But I don't know exactly what's wrong with this patient. I don't know the exact reason that they're decompensating. But we have the toolkit and I'm confident enough that I can resuscitate them or get them to the right place or know what their final disposition is, but we're not going to have all the answers. And I think like Cameron said, if you work at a place that's academic, then you have, you know, residents and students and people pushing you. If you work at a community shop that's double covered, at least, you know, you do have other people who might be like, oh, well, have you considered this? Or have you heard about this new paper? Have you tried something like this? But the hard part is if you do work a community job where you're single coverage, you can kind of get into kind of what you're saying. You don't really have any other outside opinion. You don't have another set of eyes looking at things. And it is easy to get complacent and not want to continue to look up and read. And EM is a cutting edge specialty. Things are always changing. New ideas are always coming out. 
There's a big difference between saying I don't know because I don't care and I didn't take the time to learn it versus saying I don't know, but please teach me and explain to me. And even now as a student, it is a practice. It is something I would have never felt comfortable doing as a student, but it's okay to say, I'm not sure. I don't know, but will you explain it to me? But I can look it up. I can figure it out. And interestingly enough, that's how I've forged some of my best relationships with subspecialists is I'm not going to call them and pretend that I know exactly you know, what's going on with this patient or maybe necessarily exactly what the question I'm even asking them is in some cases. But I found that if you're honest and you say, you know, I've ruled out these things, I'm kind of stuck here. Um, you know, can you give me your insight? And do you have any recommendations on how you would handle this? You have a much better relationship going forward because you have that trust that you're not going to just say you, you know, this is what's going on when you don't know exactly what is and you're asking them for input and being a part of the team. And I think that that can be really healthy with your subspecialty relationships. I 100% agree. Actually, every place I work, I work at a couple different little shops, but even in my main one, we don't have anybody in-house. And sometimes you do have to call in the consultant. In general, I do so many reductions. Living in Utah, there are so many accidents. I do reductions just about every single shift. I remember one time that I was having a hard time doing a reduction, and I called an orthopedic surgeon. And you could tell he didn't really want to come in for it, but he was willing to come in. I said, hey, look, this is the x-ray. This is where I'm getting stuck. This is where I'm having a problem. This is my limitation. Can you show me how you would approach this? And hopefully this will help me so I don't have to call you in in the future. After I presented it that way, he was more than happy to help, to help me, to teach me how to do something that was very difficult. And every time I called him after that, he was always happy. He was always pleasant and willing to do it. Same thing with the hospitalist. Like you said, Caitlin, Sometimes I'll get stuck in the ER and I just don't know what to do. Like you said, I've ruled out some of the bad stuff. I don't know exactly what's doing. There's been times that I'll even call the hospital. I'll be like, hey, Dr. So-and-so, I don't know what to do here. Can I? Yeah. 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 And exactly. And it's been helpful. And like you said, it creates much better relationships between you and that doctor because you're not some arrogant, pompous person. And you're willing to show your vulnerability. And I think that's what makes a med student great, too. Med students, I really don't expect you to know anything, right? As long as you're honest yeah. and you just admit, well, I didn't ask the patient that. But Dr. Bowers, why is that question important in this presentation? Yeah. So that next time I know when to ask that question. Those are the things I care more about, not actually what your clinical knowledge is most of the time. Yeah, exactly. Show me you're teachable. Show me you're humble and you're willing to be vulnerable. And that's how we can help you improve. I think one of the other things that I wish I would have known and it ended up working fine for me is I think a lot of times students only get one exposure to EM in their preclinical years, or in some cases, even in their third year. And that one exposure they had might not be in the right practice environment that they would fit into emergency medicine. I think when I was a student, I didn't understand how many different practice environments there were and how vastly different they are. I think that it's important if you're interested in emergency medicine and you still have a lot of time to consider shadowing in the community and the academic and even a hybrid situation, because just because you don't hit it off in one department or with one type of provider, you know, when you shadow again in a different environment, that might be more what you're looking for. And just EM in general, there's so many vast differences between even where all of us practice. Yeah. I mean, when I was in my third year, we 
have our EM rotation in our third year, especially earlier on, if we're interested. When I was in med school and the place that I was at was, I was one-on-one with the attendings, which is obviously very different than what doctors is like. So for my friends that did their third year at doctors, it was very different. And then even more, if you go out to a rural, like some of us went up to Bucyrus, Ohio, and it was literally one attending in the whole, like, and it was like eight beds, you know? So it's very different if you're out in a rural. I'll never forget. I did my first EM rotation was in a rural hospital and it was one-on-one with the attending. Like you're saying, it's a pretty busy hospital. And then I did my first audition rotation up in Michigan. It was a huge academic center. And I'll never forget my very first shift. The attending's like, all right, I want you to go see this patient, either staff it with me or staff with somebody else. As soon as you get back and you're ready to present, let me know and, and staff it with us. Back at that ER, I had never heard the term staff with somebody, oh, right? right? And I had mean? I had right. just done my epic training for the, the EHR, and they said, well, this is how you staff a patient, and you sign up somebody for the patient. So I'm like, okay, so I got to go put her name on this patient. And she saw that I put her name on this patient. She tore me apart. She's like, how dare you? Don't ever put somebody, other physician's name on a chart. I'm like... I don't know what to, I was. I was so lost, and I'm like, I just ruined this audition rotation. This is terrible. But you're right. Everything practice the terminology is different in every place that you practice, and it's just such a variety. And you really got to get out and see if emergency medicine is going to be right for you. And just one shop's not going to show you that. When we all hang out post residency, because I know a lot of you guys from residency, I find it so interesting that we all train to the same place and have the same knowledge base and foundation that we did together. And now we all work at such vastly different places, but we're all thriving with the same skill set. And I just think it's really cool and interesting to hear about everyone else's jobs and realize that as a student, no matter where you end up, you're going to get the skill set to go to all of these different places. And if you go to one and figure out it's not for you, you just pivot and find another place. I think the way that I learned that that was even a thing was by being around you, like as a med student, being a part of EM of Reezy and going to conferences. And obviously, like I was part of the, the COVID era. So my first conference was as an intern. But, you know, if I had any advice for the students, it's, you know, find your mentors, find your people, go to the conferences, get to know people. Because truly at conferences, it's a national conference for a reason. Or even your local conferences have people from the rural setting, the academic center, the community center. So just getting to know all of those people and kind of seeing where you fit in. So let's segue a little bit because this is a huge topic for students these days is what do you wish you would have known about the specialty of emergency medicine in general? Like beyond being a student, beyond your practice, beyond your your knowledge base, what do you wish you would have known about emergency medicine? And this is something that I think hits home a lot for all of us because I can very confidently say that a lot of things that have happened in the last five years, I didn't expect in emergency medicine. Yeah, I think for me, I love my job every day. I don't like my job every day, but I love my job every day. I think that that's something that as a student, if I could like go back and tell my med student self, keep on going, keep going for emergency medicine, like don't stop, full send, then I I would definitely tell myself that because I don't know that I would feel the same way in a different specialty. I think for me, really, Drew, I remember him telling me the best explanation of emergency medicine, and it was you're you're the expert of resuscitation and you're the jack of all trades, meaning your your knowledge depth is sometimes shallow in different specialties, but you know a lot about different things, really. I mean, emergency medicine, you need to be the expert on every 
emergency of every specialty. I guess I didn't initially understand too, is that's the baseline for being a good ER doctor, right? To be a great ER doctor, you don't need to know just steps one and two of treating that emergency. You need to know four, five, six, seven as well too. And really knowing not just the base, but everything else about treating those emergencies goes a really, really long way. It's just not something I expected. I just expected to take care of the emergencies. And just having that mindset and desire to gain that knowledge makes a big difference. I think it's interesting because I spend a lot of time with med students and there's been a lot of negatives for the specialty in the past few years. And those are all well known probably to most people listening. I think one of the pros to me is just the type of people, the personalities that go into emergency medicine. I'm lucky enough that I'm married to another emergency medicine doctor and I have a lot of really fun people in my group. But even when we have some of these really ridiculous things that we're faced with that makes our job next to impossible. And in some cases, I feel like people in other jobs or careers would say, this is not what I signed up for. I'm done. I don't know anyone that's quit. Everyone finds it as another challenge. Everyone's like, well, how are we going to still take care of patients? What are we going to do for our patients? We'll work something out here. I just think that that camaraderie in the field in general and the type of people that go into EM is one of the biggest pros that maybe I didn't realize as much in the pre-COVID era when I was a student or a resident. I think something that I didn't, this may be a little bit superficial, but the thing that I didn't realize was how much I was going to need to work on communication and problem solving. I mean, yeah, we do medicine. We do medicine every day. But we're one of the only specialties that talks to every other specialty. There are a lot of other docs that will never talk to. I mean, I don't, I, I'm sure I could make a scenario, but I don't really think Room is having a lot of conversations with. Sure. I mean, maybe, <laughs> yeah. I mean, who, I I'm, sure, I'm <laughs> sure, I'm sure we could, I'm sure we could engineer some sort of scenario in which, you know, these specialties need to interact, but. We talk to people with different specialties and training every day, and we need to know how to navigate those discussions to take care of our patients the best. And Cam, I really like that uh, the thought of we need to take care of the emergencies of all specialties. That's really cool. And if we're able to say, yes, we're working on the initial stabilization and now it's time for you to take over, we need to be able to talk their language. So we have to have at least a superficial idea of what they may be doing for next steps. I mean, I'm not saying that we need to know staging for cholecystectomy or anything, right? But we kind of have to have an idea of what we think might be the next step. I really didn't understand that, how much of additional specialties I was going to learn just out of necessity to make sure that I was communicating well. And to that point too, as a student and something that, you know, Again, I would recommend to any of the students is when you're on your non-EM rotations, it's very easy for other people that are going into other specialties, surgery, OB, what have you, to say, oh, well, I'm not going to be doing this for the rest of my life. Well, you are. As an ER doc, as a future ER doc, you will do all of those things. You know, maybe a little bit different, but even as a resident on my OB rotation, one of the OB attendings told me, she was like, oh, we're going to do a breech C-section. Come into the OR with us because the steps of delivering a breech baby from C-section is exactly the same maneuvers that I showed you in SimLab the other day to do a vaginal breach delivery if you had to do an emergent vaginal breach delivery. So getting that experience, even though I could have looked at her and said, yeah, but I'm not doing surgery. I'm not going to be doing C-sections. And it's like, well, but that's still a valuable experience. And I actually do still have to know what that looks like. I think part of that too is it's important for you to realize as a student and as a resident that 
if you don't do a rotation in a certain specialty and you don't learn stuff from that specialty, you're going to be hosed in your career. Especially if you're going into the community. I mean, I think a lot of students come to me and say, I know audition season's over, but I would love to get an EM rotation in in the spring before I go into residency. And I'm happy to have people rotate with me. But that's also a great time to do all of these other subspecialty rotations that we interact with all the time that you may or may not have time to do in residency and go there just looking for what you need to learn from them. So when you're consulting them, you give them the right information, you know what they're worried about, you know what their post-op expectations are, and you can just learn so much from all these other specialties that is still really relevant to emergency medicine. It's something as simple as knowing what a post-op wound is supposed to look like versus ones that's infected, because guess what? Until you see a couple hundred of those, they all look infected. Being able to be the ER doc who doesn't call the surgeon for every single red post-op, you know, wound, you will be gold in your hospital. I couldn't agree more. You need to use your quote unquote free elective time, particularly at the end of your fourth year, to broaden your horizons a little bit. I, off of the advice of one of my preceptors, I did a two-week optho rotation at the very end of my fourth year, which I was really happy about because they were only half days and I got to go home. But I was one of only two people in my residency class who knew what to do with the slit lamp. To this day, I am one of only a handful of people in my faculty group who know what to do with the slit lamp. That's what I was going to mention. And I can't say that I'm like the bee's knees at the slit lamp. Definitely not. Cell and flare, I guess half the time. (laughs) But I know what I'm doing enough so that I know if I need my consultant to come in. So every moment that you spend learning makes you a better ER doc. And you can have that conversation with the ophthalmologist if you need them, right? I had my last shift, I had two guys. I don't know why they're both grinding metal without glasses at the exact same time, but it was back-to-back patients with metal in their eye from grinding. One of them, I was able to remove it by myself, no problem. The other one was more serious. And I could call that ophthalmologist, even though we don't have an ophthalmologist on call at our hospital. I called a local and say, hey, look, this is what's going on here. I know you're on call for the hospital. And I could have a good, knowledgeable conversation with him. He's like, yeah, I can take care of that. Please bring it into my office, which was super great, right? Some of my partners couldn't do that, right? They haven't ever had that experience or that exposure. And it's it's so big. Same thing like a lot of three-year programs. Some of them are getting away from doing OB rotations too, right? And that's that's scary to me. After all the deliveries I've done in my practice so far, that scares me to death. And some ENT stuff, I mean, those are valuable rotations that all students should take advantage of that you can that you can really learn a lot and will help you throughout your career. I think I'm going to pivot the discussion if that's okay for a minute. And one of the things I think that maybe some of us didn't know is – we don't actually know where a lot of our colleagues trained, whether that be residency or medical school. I literally just had this conversation and with somebody out in the I've hallway. I've had this conversation <laughs> so many times with students. And I feel like when you're making your rank list, you know, in your mind, you've got like these list of programs, or even when you're looking at where you want to audition, you, you've got this list of programs that you think are a great fit for you and maybe your family and your family support. And then you're like, well, if this program wanted me, I would go there. But you can't give a reason why other than it's, you know, this big name place. And I just had no idea how really when I went to get a job, everyone just cared that I was board certified or I was board eligible and I graduated from residency and I was a normal person that seemed fun to hang out with. 
Like a lot of my colleagues until a student rotates and is like, hey, Dr. So-and-so, where did you go to residency? That's when I learned where they go to residency because it doesn't come up <laughs> okay, all the time you, unless, you unless they're wearing their Patagonia with all their swag on it still. Exactly. Like, I don't know these things. I don't think people care. But I think students think that, you know, there's a lot of weight on certain big name places. And maybe if you're doing certain fellowships and things, there are. But for the vast majority of EM jobs, it doesn't really matter. You just need the skill set. So I, I can say that I 100% agree. So I, I come from a named program, right? So I did my residency training at Stanford. And I loved my residency training. It was a great program. I loved my class. I got trained well. And I can tell you 100% a name is just a name. There is very, almost never a time when having that name attached to my residency training means anything outside of things that I would have been able to get at any other residency program, which is a community of people, opportunities, fantastic emergency medicine training. And more than the name is everything else that you highlighted. So where are you going to be successful? Where are you going to have a support system? Where are you going to have access to the hobbies and skills and activities that make you a real human being on your days off? Setting yourself up for success in residency is so much more important than going to the residency with the name that you might not have all those things at that you're not going to be as successful at. Because if you're not setting yourself up for success, then that name isn't worth anything. And kind of going along that too, in Utah, it's traditionally a very MD focused area. They really DOs traditionally don't get in there very much. The job that I applied for, it's kind of a, it's a hot area to get to. A lot of people want to go there, especially if you're outdoorsy. My job that I got, they interviewed 30 people. They had over 30 people apply for this one job and they picked me. When I looked at that group of people, every single one of them was an MD. Every single one of them went to some prestigious university, did their residency somewhere else. I'm like, there's no way they're going to pick me, right? Never came up that I was a DO. Not one single time did it come up that I was a DO. They they looked at my resume. They liked our interview. They cared more about you being a good person and showing that you're not just capable, but you're willing to be a part of the group. That's what they care more about than anything, not the name of it. I mean, a lot of us here, most of us here, we went to a residency program called Doctor's Hospital. That's like <laughs> going to lawyer, lawyer, and lawyer for your law degree. Someone asked us that you know, this morning. Like, <laughs> what kind of a- so We went to doctors together, and they're like, oh, you were in the same residency class? So where did you go to residency? And we're like, we went to doctors. doctors. And yeah. they're like, blank stare, doctor's hospital. And they're like, oh, that's a residency. Who's on, oh, that's a who's on first, yeah. what's on second? Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> it's such a dumb name. But the truth is, Doctor's Hospital was my number one pick. I saw the people there. I saw how well-trained they were. I knew that I would get all the knowledge I could get from there. I didn't want to travel away from my kids to get certain trauma training and all this stuff. And also the residents were all super happy there. So even though I had audition rotations at big universities, I felt that that was the best place for me. I knew I was going to get the training that I could get despite their stupid name. (laughs) I actually had a place that I auditioned that was a named program. And I felt like I would have gotten amazing training there, but I didn't fit in. I just didn't get the right vibe when I was there. And the more I thought about it, I thought, you know, if I come here, I'm going to be too intimidated to ask questions. So I'm not going to be the best doctor because I feel like I'm always going to think that I was not good enough to get in here or that I just don't fit with the vibe. And I think a lot of people just get caught up in, you know, they want to go to whatever they think is the best place. But really, I mean, that's why the match algorithm works. 
you everyone has a place that they fit in at and the program fits with them. And that's how it works. And that's the best thing. I think I'll spin that a little bit the other way too, which is if you fit at a named program and you come from a medical school that you think is maybe not the right fit for said name program, it doesn't matter. Your degree at the end of medical school, whether or not you match to a program, that's on you. That is that is testament to your hard work and your success and your future in emergency medicine. And when you match, you have matched to that place. Do not second guess yourself and do not think that you're not good enough to rank a named program highly on your list if that's where that you feel that you fit. You should rank wherever you feel you fit or your family fits or whatever is the best place for you to get good training and support, whether it's named or unnamed. I really like that. I don't actually, outside of looking at the letterhead on the MSPE, I don't actually think that I know where my residents went. Some of them I do because some of them are like, oh, I went to your med school. By and large, no. It might come up in the course of conversation like, oh, you're from Chicago. Very cool. That's great. I love Chicago. You know. It's true. I care more about like where they grew up than where they went to school. Because I want to know them as a human being. Yeah, exactly. I already right. know you're a good doctor yeah. and I'm helping make you a good doctor, yeah. but yeah. tell well, me about you as a human being. And I think too, it kind of goes back to what we do, right? When somebody comes in and they're in, you know, cardiac arrest, they're not waking up to ask us where we went to med school. They're not waking <laughs> up to ask us where we went to residency. Like, but we're they, also not asking care- them anything either. <laughs> we don't know, you know, their family, their job, their hobbies. Yeah. I mean, everyone just... We don't know if they trained at lawyer, lawyer, lawyer. Like, we're just going to save their life. Like, we don't care. Just are going to take care of them because that's what we do. And I think that that's kind of where a lot of us are are very similar. Can I bring up something real quick? I think it's important for people to know, I guess this is more coming from attending, not necessarily a residency, but at least for me, I'm in a community hospital, single coverage. The people that I care most about that I'm closest to aren't the other doctors that work with me. It's the nurses. It's the techs. It's the custodians. I had one of the custodians. He's like, hey, I'm going over to the farmer's market. You want me to grab something? Like, no, I'm fine. But he came back and brought me this huge box of tomatoes from the farmer's market. And those are the people that you're going to be closest to. I still like my partners. We still do stuff together. But I'm closer with the nurses than I am anybody else that I, where I work. We do softball games together. We do all these things together. And so not only when you're looking for like residency, you want to make sure it's a good fit. Same with your job. You want to make sure that the staff there are people that you're going to get along with. And chances are, like you said earlier, doctors, people that work in the emergency department are of the same breed. And I still think you can extend that out to the nurses and techs as well, too. Yeah. that And to flip, to bring it all the way back around, I, when I was a medical student, I wish I would have known that particularly emergency medicine is not as role insular as what you see in a lot of the rest of the hospital. It was called the pit for a reason, right? Like when we are all in the pit together, it doesn't matter what your title is, whether it is doctor, whether it is nurse, whether it is custodian, like every single person in that department is working to try to help people, period. And circling back to what Caitlin said before, there are a lot of, you know, negative things that have come out about emergency medicine in the last couple of years. People saw COVID happening in the ED in a certain light and everything. But I think because of the people that we work with and 
the support that we all provide each other and that we are in the pit together doing it, you know, going into emergency medicine, you're not, you're not just like going into this place where you're not going to be supported or you're not going to be, you know, welcomed and helped. And, you know, you're not going into it alone. You don't have to solve the violence in the ED problem. You don't have to solve the ED boarding problem all by yourself. Yes, those problems will exist. And yes, that's, you know, it is a reality of our job, but it's not the whole job. And it shouldn't, it didn't deter me from emergency medicine. And if so, if there are med students out there that want to do emergency medicine, you know, there's, there's pluses and minuses to any specialty that you'll go into. I'll say that. And I, I, going along that too, one thing that I think students don't get is, is lifestyle of emergency medical physician is great. Like most of my partners work 13 shifts a month. Granted, I really don't have the opportunity to be like my son's football coach or anything because I can't dedicate every single Monday, Wednesday, Friday to doing that. But I can still be involved in everything. I can still get to a lot of activities that my kids do. I can still be a great father, even though I'm not, but I could be a great father. I'm in the same boat, man. I could I, I could be but, really great. <laughs> not, but. But, but you have that potential to still do a lot of things, go on trips and really be engaged with your family. I mean, one of my best friends, he's a oncologist and he's gone all the time because he's so busy and taking care of so many things. On Wednesday, if I'm not working, me and my wife can spend so much time together. We go to the gym together just about every day. We can go do errands together. I can spend so much time with my wife and kids because the specialty allows me to. And you can pivot based on the different timeframes of your life. So when you have young kids, maybe, you know, a certain job fits you better. And when your kids go to school, maybe, you know, a nocturnist lifestyle fits you better because you can sleep while they're at school and be off more for the evenings if you want to be the football coach. When your kids are in college, you decide you just want to do locums and work a couple 24s here and there to make money to travel around with your spouse. There's just so many different things you can pivot. Whereas if you owned a practice or had a nine to five job, you wouldn't have that flexibility that you have with emergency medicine. This has been such an incredibly great conversation as I sit here and I listen to all of our amazing group because it's not only highlighting the things that we wish we could speak back into our lives when we were students, but I hear us all just self-reflecting about the things that we love about what we do every single day. So if we're going to tie a bow on it, let's go ahead and ask everybody in a single word, what's the thing you love the best about your job? Oh, mine is people, people without a doubt. Like people I work with make everything and every situation so much better. I think mine is mentorship. I, I'm really fortunate to be at a teaching facility to teach medical students and to teach residents and, and help people take care of other people. And that's really cool. Mine's going to be drive. I like the drive to be constantly learning and improving. I like the drive to figure out new ways to help meet my community's needs. I like the drive to find the newer aspect about my specialty that I can become passionate about next. 
I think for me, it's challenge. I think that's partially because of where I'm at in my training, that every day seems like a challenge for better or for worse. But just the fact that we see di- something different with every single patient, with every single day, you know, I'm still in residency where I'm doing rotations on service, off service. You know, I made it through the, the challenge that is intern year. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, it's going to be great second year. And then I'm like, OK, this is a challenge, too. All right. Next. So but I love that. This is technically going to be two words. I'm just throwing that out there, but Fine. I like, will allow Drew it. Drew would be very nope. upset. I know because there was a <laughs> rule nope. that everyone, was put nope. together. Everyone it. I like the safety net aspect. That um, it, there's I, a hyphen. There's a hyphen in there. Okay, so okay. we're going to take that. Yeah, we're, we're in. We'll allow yep. it. Sold. Well, I just like how, especially in today's society, there can be so many different barriers to medical care and getting people what they need. And I like how, no matter where you came from you know, what your race is, what your job is, what your career is. We take care of everyone and we're willing to help anyone, whether you're someone that comes in every day and sees us or you're someone that comes in, you know, twice a year. I just like that opportunity to make a difference in people's lives. And I like that we're always there and we don't have to worry about the insurance and the co-pays and all the nonsense that a lot of other physicians deal with on a daily basis. Well, thanks for making it all the way to the end of that Med Student Over Easy episode. Don't forget, you can follow us on social media, whether it's on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or head on over to our blog, emovereasy.com. Also, don't forget, we are the official podcast for the American College of Osteopathic Emergency Physicians. You can learn more about this great organization by heading to acoap.org, where you can find about an upcoming CME event where you might get to see a few of your EM Over Easy hosts live and in person for a show. Until next time, thanks so much. Thank you.